Good morning. Of all the things you could ask God for, should have asked God for, have you ever asked God to teach you how to pray? Do you think God would answer yes to that prayer request if we were to ask him, Lord, I, I need to learn how to pray better. Would you help me? And, you know, there are many recorded prayers in Scripture, and, and they would help us learn how to pray well. So why study the Lord's Prayer? It's a familiar prayer. Many of us recited it growing up in church, and, and, but we often don't think about it. But Jesus gave us this prayer as a pattern, as a framework to guide our prayer life so that it is sharp, so it's, so it's contemplative, so it's focused. So it really makes perfect sense, right, to listen to what Jesus said, to, to think about this prayer and what it means. So we're going to do that in the next several weeks together. The Lord's Prayer is really simple, um, but yet it's deep if we take time to think about what's being said there. There's seven requests, three concerning God, his glory, his kingdom, his will to be done, four concerning our own concerns, our, our daily needs, uh, our own sins and shortcomings, the temptations we face and the dangers that they bring. True confessions, right, since we're talking about prayer. <laughs> um, a good friend of mine, John Elcock. John, are you out there? Yeah, there he is. He shared with me a free online book. It happened to be while we were doing our sermon series on fruitfulness on the front lines. He, a free online book by Elmer Towns entitled this, Praying the Lord's Prayer for Spiritual Breakthrough. Daily praying the Lord's Prayer as a pathway into his presence. So thank you for sharing that with me, John, because that not only sounded intriguing, but it was like a jolt. Familiar words, but if you think about it, and he, uh, Dr. Townsend, Towns just shaped his book in a way that was so practical. So Lord, teach us to pray. And it fits so well with thinking about being fruitful wherever we are for God's kingdom. And to pray that we would be fruitful wherever we are, whatever we do in our everyday. And when we draw close to God in prayer, we can expect him to answer our prayers the way he answered Jesus' prayer. Are you amazed, as I jump to another thought quickly, that the God, the Son, prayed, prayed a lot, because in his humility, and I don't fully understand it as God the Son, but then in full humanity as a, as a person, he had to depend on his heavenly Father. So he knows what it's like to be you and me and wondering, God, is this what you want me to do? And he prayed for God's will to be done in heaven as it is on earth. So this is not only a prayer for disciples, but it really was Jesus' way of praying. So we have much to learn here. So it's worth digging into, and we will in the weeks ahead. So let's get going. Prayer and our everyday for God's kingdom. God created us to enjoy life with him. Jesus was sent by God to rescue us, to rescue humanity from evil that enslaves us, that surrounds us. Jesus willingly died he, to provide forgiveness, to give us new life, to give us new hope. And we know that by believing in Christ, we have a clean slate. 
We're clean before God, not because we're clean, but because he died in our place to make us clean. So we have a right standing with God. We have a new life that produces godly action and words. We're in this process. And, and we talked about that in our series on fruitfulness on the front lines. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, and I just read these familiar words to remind us, what did Jesus say? You're already clean because of the words that I've given to you. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is the one that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on a little bit later in that chapter. No longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master does but I call you friends. And I've told you everything that I've heard from the Father. I've made it known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Your fruit should abide, and so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. Fruitfulness, abiding, prayer, it's all connected. So we take a look to think about fruitfulness on our front lines. The Lord prayer is a framework for us to pray so that God's kingdom and his kingdom work is done by his people and that we do it well. Fruitfulness for our Father's glory. Praying for those places where some of you work that aren't very holy places. But God has you there so that holiness, the presence of God, can come in and begin to have influence in those places that have nothing to do with his kingdom or no thought about his kingdom or that neighborhood or your world or your nation, wherever we are, that we would pray that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I want to take a few minutes. I've been chatting you up a little bit here. I want you to do some thinking, and maybe if you're comfortable talking about it together, I have two questions for you. What questions do you have about prayer? I mean, it could be something as simple as, does my prayer really make a difference? I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do. Does it matter if I pray? Do you have a question like that? So talk about maybe a question you have about prayer. And what areas of prayer would you like to become or what area, if not areas, would you like to become stronger in, in your prayer life? If you're comfortable, talk about that with your neighbors, two or three or four of you, if you'd like. Or if you're not comfortable, just think about it yourself. If you'd like, use that communication card. It's green. Paul's shown it to you twice. I'll give you the three times. You could write your question on there, the office our good office people make sure I get those questions and maybe we can address them in weeks ahead and answer some of those questions. So go ahead and talk about that. What questions do you have about prayer and what area of prayer would you like to become stronger in? Go ahead, if you're comfortable, talk about it with your neighbors or you can think quietly to yourself.
great. Would anyone dare shout out? What would you like, what's a question you have, or where would you like to grow in prayer? Okay. <laughs> Very good. Does he really say yes or no? Good question. Anybody else? Okay, you'd like to grow in that, praying for others, or, yeah, praying for others more than ourselves. Very good. One more. Okay, just talking. I call it think praying. Does that really count? Okay, good, good question. Okay, why pray if God already knows what I need? Yeah, does it really matter or change everything? Good questions, yeah. And, and even though we might know what might be the right answer, it's still in the back of our minds, isn't it? Very good. Anyway, let, let's dive in a little bit just as we begin to introduce this. The right way to approach God. And when you pray, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. So I have the point, Lord, teach us to pray, but not to be seen or to be noticed. Are you comfortable praying publicly? A lot of us aren't. And you know, that might not be a bad thing. Uh, why? Because when you pray publicly, there's this pressure to not stumble to not begin to ramble, to be focused, to say the right things. You don't want to be, uh, say something that's off, either doctrinally or just uh, not clear. Uh, it's easy to start thinking about what people are thinking rather than what God is thinking. So we kind of get people focused. And I'm not sure, I, I don't think I have this problem, but if you're gifted <laughs> crafting words, it would really could lead to performing for people because it makes an impression. That's a real danger. So the Jews, they had appointed times to pray. So if you were out in public and it was time to pray, you know, it was not wrong to stop and to pray publicly. But what was wrong was to toot the horn or to plan to be in the market square at just the right time so that people could see that you were praying. That's what upset Jesus so much. You got your reward. Fame from people, not so much clout with God. But public praying is really a good thing. Why? Because it leads yourself and others into God's presence in a un in united dependence. It, we come together. It's, it unites our mind and our souls, our hearts around a shared concern, around other people and their needs, shared praise or shared thanksgiving. We get to share it together. So it's good to pray publicly, and there are lots of public prayers recorded in the scriptures. Thoughtful public prayers, even with a few notes scribbled on a piece of paper to kind of guide you, bullet points, is not a bad thing. It keeps you focused on God and not on people. 
A John McDonald gives this advice about public prayer. If you are in a spirit of prayer, in other words, you're really excited, you've been thinking, you've been praying already, and you're praying publicly. If you are in a spirit of prayer, do not be long because others will not be able to keep pace with you. If you are not in a spirit of prayer, <laughs> do not be long <laughs> because you will put your listeners into a state of stupor. <laughs> so in other words, keep it short <laughs> when you pray publicly because the focus isn't on being long or impressing, but to bring people into God's presence. So Lord, teach us to pray, but not to be showy or to draw attention to ourselves, but to you. Lord, Jesus says in verses 7 and 8, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before, you're at, before you ask. Lord, teach us to pray, but not with mindless repetition. Unbelieving people make the mistake, and here's their mistake. They think that by saying it a lot repeatedly, they gain favor with God. Sometimes I think, and this is just a Matt Meter thing, but I think sometimes we, we share prayer requests and we want a million people to be praying because somehow we think that a million people praying is more powerful than one godly person praying. That's not necessarily the case. It's not bad for a lot of people to be praying for the same thing. Don't get me wrong, but don't think that numbers means more influence necessarily. Repeated words with no sincerity have no value with God. Memorizing words without thought, just repeating them without thinking about it, just saying them that has nothing, has no influence on God. My good friend Charles Spurgeon says this, God does not need us to pray for his information. <laughs> God doesn't need me to tell him what's going on in the world, necessarily, right? He knows. We do not need to repeat a prayer to persuade God or to get his attention. There's no virtue in much speaking. But persistence is encouraged. Ask and ask a lot. Seek and seek a lot. Knock and knock a lot. Christian prayers, believing prayers, are measured by their weight, their sincerity, not by their quantity, not by how much there is. There's a great example in the scriptures in Acts chapter 19. That's when uh, there was a riot in Ephesus because the Apostle Paul had been preaching the gospel and people were stopping buying idols. So the silversmiths were upset because their business was going downhill because people were turning to the true God and not buying and praying to idols anymore. So they were upset. And they went into the, into the town square. They started a riot. And for almost two hours, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 19, they chanted this for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's all they shouted for two hours. Great is Artemis of Ephesus. That's all they could think of to ask their God for. They needed to remind themselves and their God that she was great. 
They could think of nothing else to say. And Jesus is saying, there's better ways to pray. God's not honored or pleased with repetitious prayers like the silversmiths. What God wants us to do is to sincerely come before him and bring our requests, and he will hear them. The weight of them, the sincerity, makes such a difference. And when you pray, don't pray in public so much. Why would Jesus say pray in secret? He recommends it. He practiced it. He went alone to pray all the time, we're told. Why alone? Because in private places, that's where the most heartfelt and honest praying happens. You know that's true in your own life, don't you? There's no distractions in a closet. (laughs) The focus is on God and you. There's no people to impress. There's no concern about crying or, or even shouting if you're angry at God. You can just let it out there. It's honest, and that's the kind of prayer that God wants. And you know what else? There's no embarrassment with stumbling over words or not knowing what to say. You're just pouring your heart out to your God. And God never breaks a confidence. Scriptures tell us that Jesus often went alone to pray. He did it before he did mighty miracles. He did it after he did mighty miracles. He did it before he chose his disciples. He prayed for them regularly after he had chosen them. He did it. Because he loved being with his father. There was joy there. And oh, that we would learn to be joyful in prayer privately, undistracted with our God. Praying is hard. Disciplined prayer takes work. The world's noisy. You know what's the most disappointing thing to me when I'm up in the mountains, like up in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondacks in upstate New York? There's always a plane going overhead. The world's noisy. Your house is noisy. Your cell phone is noisy. And we need silence to speak with God and to hear him speak back. Quality, honest, private praying, if we begin to practice it, will begin to overflow into our public praying when we're called on to pray publicly. Publicly, it'll be Christ-focused. It'll be Christ-honoring. It'll be personal. It'll be intimate. It'll be spontaneous. And others will be led into God's presence, and they won't be impressed with us, but they will be impressed with God. So, Lord, change our hearts and change our thinking so we thirst for you like a deer thirsts for pants for water in private, quiet places with you and you alone. Lord, Help me to crave that. (laughs) Think about it. I remember walking our dog. Yeah, we had a dog a few years ago. He was a nice dog. I could tell you about him some other time. A half-hour walk around our block, we called it. It wasn't a block. It was roads. And I felt naked without my phone. 
It's like, oh no, I forgot my phone. What if something happens? You're not like that. Where's my phone? It's almost out of juice. Call my phone so I can find it if you don't have the app to ping. Oh, that we would feel the same about God. I haven't prayed. I need to get rejuiced up. I need time alone with God. Where's my Bible? I need to log in <laughs> and do some posting with the Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Let's just stop there. John MacArthur says this, to pray rightly is to pray with a sincere heart and pure motives and to give focused attention to God, not to people. And how do we get focused on God? Well, we start by saying, Father. Now, I want you to know, according to scholars, that was very informal, and it offended the Jews tremendously that Jesus would say that. How dare you ask God Almighty for anything? Who are you? <laughs> but this opening line, and this is Jesus, God the Son, saying, this is the relationship that your Creator wants you to have with Him. He wants you to know Him as your Father. That's an amazing reality. Think about it. He wants you to say, Father, not only that, take it a step further, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, informal, Papa, whatever it is in your household or your culture, that's what he's asking us to do. For first century Jews, the term Father was like praying uh, almost blasphemy. It was too informal. They took the third commandment seriously. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And they avoided any direct reference to God, even in his holy names, that God chose, like Yahweh. They wouldn't say that name because it was too holy. I might mess it up. But, but, and Father, well, those were names God loves to I mean, it just, just fills the scriptures. Yahweh, Father, those are names he chose for himself. And they say, don't say them. And, and God's saying, yes, say them. That's who I am. So Jesus is reestablishing in his time a mistake that people were making and saying, get close. Like Abraham. You know Father Abraham? Oh, we call him Father. Well, you can call God your Father. That's the kind of relationship he wants you to have with him. Moses and Hannah and the prophets and the psalmists, it's what they experienced, it's what they expressed. And Jesus came so we could draw close again to God to understand, have that relationship fixed so we can come to God without fear and say, Father, our Father in heaven, <laughs> closeness, relationship, reverence, all expressed in one simple phrase. Our Father and yet in heaven, in heaven and yet our Father. Pretty amazing thought. Was your father or is your father, your dad, a good dad or a not so good dad? 
Well, let me just say this. I have four kids, so they've, 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 I'm sure they've evaluated me. <laughs> Don't allow a frail, imperfect, sometimes terrible earthly father mess up your understanding of your heavenly father. Because they're not the same. Just a few verses over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus does a comparison. Verse, chapter 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Okay, I'm a dad. That's my category. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? There's no comparison. Our heavenly Father is such a good Father compared to any one of us. Do you want to know what God the Father's like? Just study the life of Jesus. That's what God is like. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So see Jesus. Read the scriptures and pray and learn, and he will show you what our God is like. Lord, give us faith to believe that you're our Father and that you're a good Father. And even though you're in heaven, that you desire for us on earth to come into your presence and to bring a little bit of heaven to earth through us and to come before you without fear. How can people like us come before God, the holy God of heaven, without fear? I mean, God tells us in Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And in the way of peace, the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. How can we hope to stand before God when this is the list of who we are apart from God? Well, Jesus tells us how. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this story. This is how we can come to God, our Father, and not be afraid. Listen to what Jesus says. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a dishonest tax collector. The proud Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God. I am not like a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, 
Be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. That's how to pray. Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray so that our everyday places begin to become your holy places as we see and and see how you want to work. Lord, use us. You're our Father. Lord, teach us to pray in secret so we're honest with you and so we are sincere and, and don't worry about what we say and allow that to change us when we're alone with you. Help us to learn to be quiet. Lord, hear every person that's here today, whether they're here in person or watching it, Lord, whoever prays to you and asking for mercy, answer that prayer as they humbly come to you. And Lord, forgive them as you promised. Give them confidence that they're your child through faith in Christ. Lord, hear their cry for mercy. Lord, teach us to pray the way you prayed. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.